welcome to The B-Sides, a podcast for progressives who love pop music. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah. I'm Mimi. And I'm Becky. Tune in for new episodes every other Wednesday to hear our conversations on pop's place in our world. And the music you should put in your ears to fuel your reckoning with the trash fires all around us. Thanks for tuning in. Here we go. Welcome to the B-Side. Hello. Hi. Where we take pop music seriously, but not ourselves. And we're so glad you're here because we have an episode that we are almost too excited about today. Yeah, it's a little much. You will be too by the end. You you, listener. You're going to have answers by the end, or you're going to have more questions than answers like we do. But today we are talking about Avril Lavigne random except not (laughs) we're talking about her trajectory as an artist who ushered in a a whole subgenre really who opened doors for other artists that we all know and love but either and this is this is our take is that she either could not keep up or decided not to despite the fact that she has put out albums like every few years for the last 20 years and that that's rare. It's rare that she like opened all these doors and then just kind of didn't move forward, I guess, in the way we expected her to. Mm-hmm. Her career arc in general feels rare. And the baseline of what she tells us is authentically her has changed in ways mm-hmm. that are very interesting and maybe suspect and maybe not. So, so much there. There's a lot. So subscribe if you haven't already. We come out every other Wednesday. So subscribing makes it way easier to keep up and open up the description of this episode to find other ways to join this internet home. And first, uh, some quick announcements. Uh, If you want to support the show, you can do that on Patreon for $5 a month. You'll receive one playlist, behind the scenes content, and one bonus mini episode. Join us on Patreon at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the T-H-E-B-S-I-D-E-S. <laughs> Patreon.com slash the B-Sides. Hooked on phonics with Becky. <laughs> I don't know why I felt compelled to spell it. I love it. Love it. Um, second, we now have a merch storefront on TeePublic. That's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C. And the link to that is in the show notes to buy some B-Sides merch. And join us on the internet. The link to join our Discord is in the show notes. Join us on Instagram. And we also have a TikTok, a Twitter, and a Facebook too, because sometimes people still use that. And they're all linked below. And lastly, uh, on today's list for housekeeping, we wanted to give you a heads up that we are winding down season three. At the start of this season, we decided to cap it at 12 episodes because we had no cap or end date on season two. And so that season ended up being about 16 months and 26 episodes long, which, you know, was a lot, but fun, but a lot for us. Um, So we have four episodes left in this season, including this one. And after this one, we'll be taking a hiatus. We're not sure how long the hiatus, such a weird word, hiatus Mm. to look at and spell anyway, will be. And we will explain why soon. Rest assured, it's not because we're beefing. I'm going to say someone scripted that for me and that's not true. Um, (laughs) So maybe there is beef in the streets and we will share more shortly, or maybe there isn't beef in the sheets and maybe there's a a different way. 
Drama. So thanks for being on this pop ride with us. This is, think of this more as a Jonas Brothers breakup. Hiatus. Not hiatus. What a weird we word. We, we hope. hope. And not a One Direction one. Although when I win my Grammy, I'll uh-huh. thank you guys. I'll thank you. Yes. Just okay. like Harry. Thank yes. you. <laughs> okay. Becky's like, this is not because we're beefing, but I want to start beefing. So I'm going to start a beef. <laughs> Everyone knows I love drama. Mm-hmm. Keep people on their toes. You know who did a lot of that? Avril Lavigne. She did. She did. She's a great distraction from the fight that we're in. So we're going to talk about her. <laughs> the fight that we just started. And yeah, um, right I also now. think I think it's over also. I think we started and then we had it and then it ended just so, right now. Oh. Yeah, but be we'll be in touch about some some reasons. They're good reasons, we swear. And we thank you all for listening all these years. And don't worry, there's still four more. Should you choose to continue to listen to this after my <laughs> weird long thing about hiatuses? So thank you. I loved it. it. I'm ready to listen and I'm ready to talk also. Okay, so let's get into today's episode, which starts and ends as some of you know if you've been paying attention to my activity on instagram with patron saint of 2002 avril Levine. but maybe it's going to take some detours in between i have wanted to chat about avril for a while and that's mostly because i wanted an excuse to read lyrics from her 2002 debut masterpiece album let go on a hot mic but it's also because that's not a good enough excuse unfortunately It's also because her trajectory as an artist feels rare and worth exploring, like we said at the top. She is the sort of artist who made a splash right away with her first album, which had a rebellious yet wise old soul sort of vibe to it. She opened doors quite quickly for other artists and sort of a whole subgenre of 2000s alt rock pop punk girls in what used to be a more monocultural world but then did not seem to evolve much herself over the last 20 years, at least from what we can see. We have done episodes before on artistic evolution, which is natural, but can also feel forced. And yet with Avril, it seems like more of a regression. Don't get mad at me for saying that. Okay. This is my opinion. Avril, if you're listening. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Generally speaking, her music is more shallow and superficial than it used to be lyrically, sonically, And that's been pretty statically true for at least 15 years now, in my view, although she people like her most recent album more, I think, than probably the three that came before it. But this is has been kind of the case for most of her 20s and 30s. And I asked you all on Instagram if you follow our Instagram to help think through this. So thank you for that. And we'll be peppering some of your thoughts throughout because they were great. I do want to also like acknowledge my bias at the top. I am, of course, and I think we all are in a way, biased in that I was 11 when Avril showed up with the phenomenon that was the complicated music video and let go. And she was relatable and cool in a way that was totally new to me. Like this wistful, tomboyish, 17-year-old guitar playing girl running around the mall. Who remembers the mall? Yeah. The mall. and <laughs> The mall. And pining for Let's skater boys. Let's go to the mall. Exactly. That song. Day. Influence. Her influence. And she was pining for skater boys, but also talking shit to them. 
and not letting any of that be her whole personality was aspirational and relatable. And as someone who has since dated a skater boy or two, it's everything she said it would be, LOL. (laughs) And I still love that first album, as did a lot of adults at the time. Let Go is is truly a sleigh from start to finish. It's a no-skips album with tons of poetic lyrics, great instrumentals, some of the catchiest songs from start to finish. And I feel not that way about the vast majority of her albums or songs after 2007, of which there are many, which makes me sort of fascinated with her trajectory and brings up some bigger questions to think about. Because as we've talked about many times, artists change and it girls fall or more accurately are pushed from grace but this feels different like I remember Avril releasing her song girlfriend uh five years kind of into her mainstream career in 2007 when I was 16 and even then I felt like she had regressed or something I do like that album the best damn thing but I remember seeing the girlfriend music video and being like sorry who is this it seemed like there was a shift in her music her speaking voice her accent her mannerisms that I think has stayed relatively consistent since around that time. But more than that, I found the girl from music video, like so deeply annoying and uncharacteristic and like she was punching down and I'd never seen anything like that from her before. And people change, of course, especially between age 17 and their early twenties. So that should be set up front, but they also usually evolve in some ways since then. And this just seems kind of different and less authentic. Yeah. And I agree with everything you said about the things that felt different about this era versus her opening her debut era, even though they were so close to each other. And one thing I really want to underline is, is how different she sounded. Um, I was re-listening to let go to get ready for this episode. And I was so struck by her vocal talent that just isn't showcased in girlfriend in what the hell in other you know, in other of her singles after that era. I do think some of her vocal talent, the way it was showcased in Let Go on that album specifically and in Nobody's Home, that's the name of her second album, right? Nobody's Home. Under My Skin. Oh, oh, what's Nobody's Home? What was I thinking? It's a song on there. It's a song. It's like a single on there. Yeah, of course. Right, right, right. Um, Anyway, I think there's a little bit of an affect that she's doing at the time on Let Go. So I'm not surprised if she let that go. I personally uh, like the affect. Um, but in general, I think that those songs like really, you just, she's such a good singer. And I don't think you listen to Girlfriend and say, what a great vocalist. Like, I don't think that's your takeaway. No, there's a lot of other takeaways. Um, it's so funny because I remember the album art to like all of her albums, mm-hmm. like so clearly to me. And I, 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 I guess I obviously own them on CDs, but to, when we listen to, I'm just sorry. I'm thinking about iPods and mm-hmm. like what phase of life the like thick iPods were. Cause I, th- I think, you know what? I listened to this on like the shuffles. I don't mm-hmm. know. I played one of those, like have her albums, like on repeat, losing grip and fall to pieces and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The album covers for the first two were like intense in a cool yeah. way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she was like, it was like rocker chick. It was like, I was not embarrassed for people to know that like, no, that's what I was listening to crying on the bus. Yeah. As one does. <laughs> okay. So we want to illustrate this with a few examples because it's fun and it's hard to actually just describe what we're talking about. And I feel like these examples are sort of underscore a lot of what we're going to be talking about 
over the rest of the episode. So first we want to play Losing Grip from Let Go in 2002 and then her 2011 song, What the Hell. And we're going to play those back to back to show the difference. So good. So good. Okay. And What the hell? So what? She she was like, so what? So what? Like this is my voice. I love that song. Um, I know. I know. We're talking about her regression in that era, and I think that the vocals are so much so clearly stronger on "Losing Grip." But I was reminded of how how much of a bop. What the hell? I I know. Yeah, it is really catchy. There's better than girlfriend. Oh, for sure. There's no like message in it. No. Aside from like LOL, but which is a message, of course. But it is sure. it is a very catchy song. Okay. So just in case you're like, and also because we want to play these other two songs, in case you're like, okay, well, that's like a nine-year difference. Like she probably went through a lot of changes. And yeah, she sounds different. Consider this. Consider Fall to Pieces, a song from 2004, and then Girlfriend, a song from 2007. That's only three years, okay? We're going to play those next. I love Fall to Pieces. This is an absolute sleigh. I don't want to fall to pieces. I just want to sit and stare at you. I don't want to talk about it. And I don't want a conversation. I just want to cry in front of you. I don't want to talk about it. And I don't want to fall to pieces. Play the Spanish version next. What did you say, Becky? I said play the Spanish version next. Oh, my God. That's one of the things (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. Summer 2007, Becky and I were at Camp Apple Farm where we were in Bunk 18, and we were obsessed with the Spanish version of Girlfriend. (laughs) Wow. That's beautiful. It really really is beautiful. 
So even Thank when you. she's not giving, <laughs> she is giving. Your is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. It sounds. It just. She sounds so different. She sounds like she could be anyone in those later. Yeah. Songs. Like yeah. all of the uniqueness has just been flattened. Totally. Vocally. And, I'm just, I'm not even talking about the production or anything, just vocally. Like, yeah. Totally. Right. It's like, and the, cause this is after auto-tune becomes such a thing, but it's, it's so, it's a lot more than that. Yeah. It's a lot mm-hmm. more than that. Yeah. Okay. So we have that. That's an undercurrent for the rest of this episode. And I know that she has like other ballads and stuff that, you know, we could talk about or we could compare, but like, these are yeah. some of her biggest songs. These are the songs that people know her by, at least the the later ones that we played for sure. Mm-hmm. And the earlier ones all like she sounded consistently like that over those first two albums. So the other thing I think is interesting about this and April's path as an artist is it's in these early years of her career with Let Go and her second album, Under My Skin, and probably up through 2007 that she opened doors for a lot of other pop punk alt rock girls like Ashley Simpson uh, Haley Williams and Paramore and even other teen girls with guitars writing poetic lyrics like Taylor Swift, I would say. It's also in these early years that Avril wrote her best songs for other people like Breakaway on Kelly Clarkson's 2004 album. So she is like a rare example of someone who becomes a gateway for all sorts of new artists who move forward and evolve while she stays in the music industry, but seems to become less sophisticated as a songwriter and an artist as time goes on. It is, as Hannah said to us recently when we were talking about this episode offline, as if, quote, I'm quoting you right now as you're here, (laughs) Avril didn't get it right for herself, which I thought was kind of profound. I was just going to add that to me, Avril Lavigne um, was also a style icon. I wore a tie and combat boots like a lot when I was 11 and 12 because of Avril and uh, I wasn't even a tomboy. Like I would never classify myself as like a tomboy, but she like, let me feel, I guess some kind of void. I like needed to feel like alt and okay. And I will always love her because of that. Definitely. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it, it feels like Avril's career brings up a lot of questions related to, but also bigger than her questions about what artists can mean to us at a formative age. Like Becky was saying, the validity of our expectations of them consciously or not, as we all grow up, ageism, misogyny, the idea of a sellout and a label's role in that, what makes a good gateway artist, what makes a good post 9-11 cultural void artist, more on that in literally one moment. Um, if someone can be cool again after marrying the lead singer of Nickelback, even if she married the lead singer of Sum 41 first, et cetera. So we're going to take a quick break and then pull on some of these threads. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
And we're back. Okay, let's do some early Avril overview. And let's start at the start and establish the scene that Avril Lavigne entered into. So the year is 2002, which means we're in post 9-11, but pre-weapons of mass destruction, war on terror, America. We good? We settled? We contextualized? Okay. Britney Spears is ubiquitous. She carried us all into the new millennium on her on her shoulders alone by herself. She's shouldering the burden of what a young woman should be in our monoculture. She's the princess of pop, the ultimate it girl, as we've talked about several times on this podcast. And record labels are looking to capitalize off her popularity, but in a new way. So not just in the ways they've done previously, trying to fit people like Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, Mandy Moore into this Britney mold. They also want an anti-Britney, which for them probably feels just as interesting and profitable. They want a contrast, someone for the alt girls to emulate, someone who can fit the bill of angsty or punk on the surface without actually being countercultural, without really representing anything that would counter that post 9-11 cultural void of, of the deep, unquestioning patriotism that dominates political and popular culture in the United States at this time. Enter small-town Canadian tomboy Avril Lavigne. Avril is introduced as a thoughtful, scowling, skater, tie-wearing, songwriting, guitar-playing, mall rat teen with her song Complicated, and then skater boy. We all know how it's spelled. Mm -hmm. With these songs on her first album, Let Go, she becomes the breakthrough artist of 2002. CNN reports that she is, quote, the perfect counterpoint to bubblegum pop. There is nothing wrong with that on the surface, but it's worth acknowledging that this is a particularly misogynistic time and the media has a super condescending about all these young girls in music. Avril was sort of labeled as the not like other girls girl. She was cast as a rebel of pop music world and like a smarter, more relatable, down to earth, non-poser girl singing about boys she loved and boys who wronged her and, and singing about self-respect and self-worth, truth, longing, feeling lost, finding meaning in every day, wanting to be seen and accepted for who she is. All important things for teenagers or anyone in life. And we ate that shit up. And to Avril, <laughs> I, 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 for one, definitely did. I was wearing fucking co combat boots and a tie. <laughs> and uh, Avril's credit, she actually rejected the idea of being anti-Britney, saying in Entertainment Weekly at the time, I don't like that term. It's stupid. I don't believe in that. She's a human being. God, leave her alone. Thing about Avril is she's very concise. She she gets she gets to the point. In other words, Avril was ahead of her time telling people to leave Britney alone. She is really concise when she is interviewed. I feel she's she is blunt. Well, maybe not concise. She was concise here. She's blunt. Okay. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think and I think we would all agree that calling her or anyone the the anti Britney is super reductive of both artists and really misses the charm of them both and of that moment. And it's just another way to pin artists against each other unnecessarily. And for adult men to criticize teenage girls, no matter what, which is of course gross and pervasive. Avril was even regularly criticized for her self-awareness back in the day. One of the things that made her so popular to begin with, because teenage girls truly cannot win, especially when it's 2002. Mm -hmm. But all the while, she's rolling out Let Go, which becomes and is to this day the best-selling Canadian album of the 21st century and in the top 10 worldwide. It's got some of the best, catchiest, different but immediately recognizable and singable tracks. Complicated and Skater Boy, of course, healed the nation. But 
this album also has a mournful but hopeful cello heavy ballad and I'm with you start to finish earworms like things I'll never say and the storytelling of it all very poetic lyrics that make you think she's an old soul and here's the part that I mentioned above where I was like it's happening let's read some lyrics in appreciation Hannah do you want to start I'd love to okay I wanted to read uh from her song anything but ordinary which actually was a song I kind of had to remind myself about um, when I was going back into this, into the Avril mode. So this is from Anything But Ordinary by Avril Lavigne, 2002. Sometimes I get so weird, I even freak myself out. I laugh myself to sleep. It's my lullaby. Sometimes I drive so fast just to feel the danger. I want to scream. It makes me feel alive. Is it enough to love? Is it enough to breathe? Somebody rip my heart out and leave me here to bleed. Is it enough to die? Somebody save my life. I'd rather be anything but ordinary, please. BRB school. <laughs> Literally. Um, cells on. BRB shower. shower. <laughs> okay, but like, is she for real? Like, poet is she for real? Yeah. This song is so good too. The back half of this album. Mm. And I obviously you can't hear it with the with the um with the just straightforward reading, but there's it's also very vocally like there's a lot going on. It's very dynamic. There's a lot yeah. of ups and downs in this song. Yeah, it's sonically poetic as well. Okay. Um, I could choose like seven different ones, but I, I'm gonna do two different ones. One of them's shorter and then one of them's longer. Okay. So the, the, actually the next song on the album, things I'll never say, which like I said, is like one of the catchiest songs from start to finish, but also very sonically interesting. Okay. Here are some lyrics. I'm tugging at my hair. I'm pulling at my clothes. I'm trying to keep my cool. I know it shows. I'm staring at my feet. My cheeks are turning red. I'm searching for the words inside my head and I'm feeling nervous trying to be so perfect because I know you're worth it. You're worth it. Yeah. If I could say what I want to say, I'd say I want to blow you away, be with you every night. Am I squeezing you too tight? If I could say what I want to see, I want to see you go down on one knee. Marry me today. Guess I'm wishing my life away with these things I'll never say. I also didn't, if you can tell there's like a sexual innuendo in here too that I did not pick up on when I was 11. But by the time I was 15, I was like, oh, got it. Okay. Can I say something about that? Yeah. I was just, I was talking about this episode with my husband Logan because he had a lot to say also about Avril Lavigne and we were talking about how in some ways today it feels like songs are more overtly sexual but they are less of this like I don't know the way that Avril songs were sexual without being sexual they were like mm -hmm. a little more just raw and vulnerable and like that element of sexuality mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm making sweeping generalizations right now but I feel like with songs as well as with movies and like other parts of culture things are more explicit but a little less raw mm -hmm. now and this those lyrics remind me of that yeah and that was logan's take so that's it not mine mm -hmm. okay one more check this out avril's got range okay this is actually also the next song in the album my world so in an early lyric she says this is what i love is like she is like fully 17 but also she is 
an old soul because she says, made my money by cutting grass, got fired by a fried chicken ass, which um, is a lyric I've always loved. And then and then she gets really deep. Okay, so later in the song, you know, I always stay up without sleeping and think to myself, where do I belong forever in whose arms the time and place? Can't help it if I space in a daze, my eyes tune out the other way. I may switch off and go in a daydream. In this head, my thoughts are deep, but sometimes I can't even speak. Would someone be and not pretend I'm off again in my world? I never spend less than an hour washing my hair in the shower. It always takes five hours to make it straight. So I'll braid it in a zillion braids, though it may take all friggin' day. There's nothing else better to do anyway. When you're all alone in the lands of forever, lay under the Milky Way. On and on, it's getting too late out. I'm not in love this time, this night. Unbelievable. Okay, Shakespeare. <laughs> Is she in the room with us now? Like, <laughs> And my song that is actual Shakespeare as well is Nobody's Fool. And she kind of speaks it. So the portion that I will say, it'll be to the beat of the song. Fall back. Take a look at me and you'll see I'm for real. I feel what only I can feel. And if they don't appeal to you, let me know. And I'll go because I flow better when my colors show. And that's the way it has to be, honestly, because creativity can never bloom in my room. I throw it all away before I lie. So don't call me with the compromise. Hang up the phone. I've got a backbone stronger than yours. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, was word. Spoke, that was spoken word poetry on the album. Yeah. I know. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so good. All these great karaoke songs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Every single one. Yeah. Every my go-to one. karaoke song is my happy ending. That it's is a good my one. go-to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people usually are like, oh, I forgot about that song. I don't remember it. And then you start playing it and everyone remembers every line. They all, yeah. everybody knows it. Yeah. It's not like it's, we're dead. It never left. It's like in, it's in your kishkas. Yeah. 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 <laughs> For real. Okay, I'm so glad we got to do that. That's the that is the end of the lyric segment, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when we asked for your Avril takes, a bunch of you talked about how good these songs are, and Leanne even said that she had to stop listening to her music on the bus to school because it would literally make her cry. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> literally, I'm with you. <laughs> this album and moment had a gentle chokehold on all of us. Quite literally, for those of us who started wearing ties with tank tops or t-shirts to school, me, quite literally. And it is still such a good non-cringe album on like the tie outfit that did not age well. Avril ditched the tie by 2003 saying that she felt that she was wearing a costume, which was hard for me to take mm-hmm. as that seems tough an 11 year old. It was, it was, it was, it was hard, but she uh, stays set apart from the other pop girlies and instead she's compared to artists like Alanis Morissette and she's part of this cohort of teen or young adult singer-songwriters, musicians like Michelle Branch and Vanessa Carlton, who we love and who had all sorts of misleading and backhanded compliments on marketing schemes. Like, she's different from the other pop girls because she actually plays an instrument and or writes her own songs, a.k.a. she's not like other girls. Yeah, for sure. So this idea of Avril continued into, into 2004 with her sophomore album, Under My Skin, which was also so good and a little more grunge and a little more gothic. But by 2004, not only is she a part of this cohort of singer-songwriters, she's now opened the door for the aesthetically alt-pop punk girlies of the 2000s. We're talking Ashley Simpson. We're talking Hilary Duff, Haley Williams of Paramore, 
even Katy Perry in her first album, and then honestly, even Taylor Swift. So I want to share some thoughts on Avril's influence on, or, you know, the gateway to this alt pop punk girl scene of the 2000s. Um, It's hard to pinpoint what about Avril was the chicken of female punk pop surge and what's the egg, you know? Um, But I feel confident. This feels true that Hilary Duff's iconic fly era and Ashley Simpson's debut as like a punky alternative to her sister, Jessica, would not have happened the way they did without Avril. Whether or not Avril was responsible for the entire era or just, you know, one important piece, I think that those two have, those two artists have Avril to thank. Ultimately, these eras for both Hillary and Ashley were more pop punk in aesthetics than in actual music, if that makes sense. Um, I think the song Fly by Hilary Duff and the song Lala by Ashley Simpson, sure, they both had an edge and an angstiness to them that previous or subsequent songs by each of those artists like didn't really. But I do think the strongest through line between Avril and those two artists was much more in the looks and the vibes. We got the all black ensembles. We got black nail polish. We got black open fingered gloves. Bonus points if they were asymmetrical, like you're only wearing one. Um, We got smudge black eyeliner and those plastic bracelets, unfortunately, and bizarrely called fuck bracelets. Remember those? Mm. Or a lot of those. Um, And I think that Hillary, for, for Hillary and Ashley both, defining themselves against something perceived as more mainstream and clean was very intoxicating. I think Hillary wanted to define herself against the Disney machine she was built in. And Ashley wanted to define herself against her sister. But what ends up being funny about that stated or perceived desire for an alternative to the mainstream is that the two of them actually played into what I think was the dominant trend for female artists at that time, which was pop punk. So it's this desire to be countercultural and instead you are actually the moment. Like that was the moment. <laughs> it wasn't you, countercultural you, at all. You <laughs> countercultured so hard in a way that was like cohesive to the culture that yes. you became the culture. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Um, so I wanted to talk about, you know, that Avril kind of ushering in that new era, but I also want to talk very briefly about how she was the end of an era as well, which we, this, we were mentioning earlier. Um, I think, and I'm curious, Becky and Mimi, if you agree that she was a bit of like the end of the nineties girl era of Alanis Morissette, Lisa Loeb, cranberries meredith brooks who sings um i'm a bitch Mm -hmm. yeah that song yeah that like white girl with a whiny yet sophisticated angst era i think it was i would say it's characterized by full out vocals vulnerable lyrics and i think you know i've talked about how she arrived at the beginning of this pop punk era which in a lot of ways was was mostly male dominated. I think ultimately um, we talked about Hillary Duff and Ashley Simpson and and Haley from Paramore, maybe even Fifi Dobson. But mm-hmm. I think mostly this pop punk era was Green Day, Fall Out Boy, Good Charlotte, like that. So yes, she's she's arriving at the beginning of that era. But I I also feel like it's important to contextualize her at the end of that more folk based storytelling, girl powered angst era of the 90s I don't mean girl power I mean like it was powered by girls (laughs) like yeah girl powered angst yeah of of the 90s I don't know if you guys agree with that yeah um I I totally agree with that 
I'm really glad you contextualized it. I would add Courtney Love to that list, but I definitely yeah. was like, oh, the cranberries in Alanis Morissette for sure when listening to Let Go. And what's interesting yeah. is I feel like at the time she she was asked about her influences and she mostly listed men. Oh, really? And they were like, and they were like you two and Coldplay and like wow. things that she likes to listen to. Um, but she totally like all of the people that you just mentioned carved out a space that she then entered into and then kind of made her own and was a teenager. So it was, was different too, for that reason, but absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we talk about this a little bit later, but she has been the influence. I think you can see a lot of her in a lot of the girlies that are up and coming now in like Olivia Rodrigo and Gracie Abrams and mm-hmm. uh, Billie Eilish even in this mm-hmm. like, and I still think that's the same message of the like, I'm not like other girls. Yeah. Yeah. Vibes that all of these people, all of these women mentioned before too. And I almost like feel this could be a whole other podcast. I almost feel like Avril came at the end of that era and like ended it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there was, there was something really beautiful about the way the angst and vulnerability was characterized in nineties girl, folky, poppy, punky. I don't even know what you call that. I think you call it folk rock. Maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like, like alternative rock, alternative yeah. rock. Right. And I feel like there was something about the way that she did it so commercially successfully. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, all of those women were incredibly successful. So I don't know but what she it, was I, like a phenomenon and she was like on a different level. And I just feel like she ended it. Yeah. I feel like she's like to blame. <laughs> she but threw maybe, her skateboard at all of their albums and smashed. Like I actually, yeah. I don't think there was a pick me element to those women. Mm-hmm. And I do think there was a pick me element to Avril and then mm-hmm. like the girls that she ushered in later. Yeah. I totally agree. And I do want to say, I, and I'm going to hold myself back because we could do a full episode on this too, that like, I don't know if we would have Taylor Swift the way we do, if not for Avril, because like, I think, I think when I listen to Fearless in particular, I see the influences from Let Go, like yeah. her song, Why, which was on a B-Sides and then, and then Taylor's Tell Me Why, I feel that complicated and the way I loved you. I'm I'm hearing some sonic similarities in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like this whole this whole because Taylor didn't start like totally Taylor started country. Avril was gonna be country, but it wasn't gonna oh. be commercially successful at the time. And so she pivoted. Wow. I just feel like there's there's a lot of influence there for the girl, the the teenage girl with the guitar singing and writing her own music that seems like so obvious now, but wasn't wasn't a thing in the same way back then. And I think mostly now is successful in country music Mm -hmm. almost exclusively, not exclusively, but almost. I think that like that's where that kind of female songwriting and storytelling, as you were mentioning earlier, is now thriving. I think it's in country Mm. as opposed to alternative rock, for example. Right. Right. Yeah. It was just a different moment. Yeah. It's really interesting. Okay, so that's early Avril, and now we're going to talk about where she takes the turn, I guess. Okay, so like Becky said, we're going to say a little more on Avril as a gateway artist later because we are having a Y2K resurgence of sorts, and Avril has definitely influenced a new generation. But let's talk about what went down in the mid-2000s. Avril or her label or both decided to change things up 
she bleaches her hair, changes her aesthetic, starts to carry herself differently. I think she's more like quote unquote bubbly and feminine and now like suddenly obsessed with Hello Hello Kitty forever. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. You do you. And she changes labels. Her first two albums were with Arista Records. And then she signs with RCA for her 2007 album, The Best Damn Thing, an album that I really like. And uh, one of our listeners, James, told me it's underrated and his favorite era. And Claire said she loved it. So all due respect. But there is definitely a major vibe shift and a lot of like, hey, Mickey, you're so fine sort of chants that have continued, I think, since then. Girlfriend, as we mentioned, has a real punch down, pick me energy. And it was just a big change. And there's a lot of backlash that comes with this. There's certainly a lot of misogyny baked into it, baked into the song. And then also baked into like the backlash mm-hmm. to all the changes she's made. Some fans and haters alike called Avril a sellout and say she's turned away from her roots and is just like making pop or pop punk music on a very superficial level. Some of that's not fair, I think. Like, you can't call someone a sellout when their previous album was actually the most commercially successful. (laughs) It's how I personally feel. Uh, But I will say when she came out with What the Hell in 2011, it felt like feminists around the world were like, damn, this is lazy and bad music. Like, it's super catchy. But just in terms of what is this, like, about at all? Like, where is your... Where is the soul in it? It just felt like that song came from someone with a different soul than the Avril that we quote unquote knew, because of course, who really knows celebrities, but. Yeah. And I feel like this era, I think we're talking like 2011, sorry, 2007 to 2011. It's interesting to me for a few other reasons. Um, One is that when I think back on it, what I remember is girlfriend and what the hell. But it it wasn't just that. There were some more uh, angsty songs, some songs with a more, you know, like a more rock vibe. And there were also ballads, you know, all of that, but none of them really made it big. And I think that her and her team, her and, or her team, right. This is like Mm -hmm. what we don't know. Thought that girlfriend was like a natural progression of skater boy. I actually listened to them back to back. And I was like, I understand what they were thinking, but the truth is the vibes are just so different. And her team and her, they should have known that we're too smart to like, not pick up on what felt like two really different songs even though when you listen to them back to back you like understand what they were trying to do mm-hmm. um and the other thing I want to share is that around this I think it was around this time Avril also wrote the song Cheers Drink to That by Rihanna and um you can feel the vibes of what the hell and cheers when like when you think about those two songs as well yeah you can that's a polarizing song I like it though it's a great yeah. song yeah I think I would have hated it out of Avril and I love it out of Rihanna. So that's interesting too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then the one other thing I want to say about the skater boy to girlfriend thing is that like her team's probably changed with the record label and her band, right. her band changed. Like right. her band has changed several times um, from the people who she knew and was close with. I'm sure she still had like a core team of people in her life, but it's like, you know, it's tricky when, when a lot of that changes. So to be like, she change, (laughs) did she, you said that it was, it was a person with a different soul, Mimi. I, it's what it feels like, but I am not a conspiracy theory person, but I think Becky's going to talk to us about this now. I am, but maybe not coincidentally. It also is in 2011 when Avril Lavigne replacement conspiracy theories show up. 
Many of you probably know about this because we've mentioned it years ago or because it's one of the most well-known music conspiracy theories of all time. But as a refresher, in 2011, a Brazilian brog, brog, blog claims that Avril died in Under My Skin era around 2003-2004 and that she had been and that she had definitely wanted to leave the limelight. The idea is that her team replaced her with a lookalike who was named Melissa Vandalea. It sounds like the Seinfeld episode um, of Art Vandalay. <laughs> um, so like when someone yeah. comes up with the name, it's like a V last name. Yeah. Anyway, so that they would keep up appearances and continue to profit from Avril's success. And some people claim that Avril actually taught Melissa how to be like her. And this theory has shown up in a lot of places online and grown in popularity since then and gone viral a few times. The comparisons of her appearance changes and lyrical interpretations throughout the years. And we don't want to give this too much airtime, but we can't really talk about the evolution of Avril's career without mentioning it because it is one of the biggest musical music conspiracy theories, as Becky said. There is an absurd number of articles and podcasts and videos about this from the past 10 years with the headline like, is Avril Lavigne dead? And the way this theory caught on, not as a joke for many people, suggests that enough people saw such a departure from her let go and under my skin eras that they have agreed to question her trajectory and even her basic identity and like status of whether or not she is living. Um, maybe the most interesting part of this theory though, is that the person who started the, uh, who, who started that Brazilian blog decades ago, just recently apologized for starting the rumor. They changed the blog to explain that she is not dead <laughs> and claimed the whole thing was a way of showing how conspiracy theories can catch on. But again, the fact that it did tells you something. Yeah. And like, show me one YouTube video of one of her songs. I haven't looked at them all, but show me one where there isn't someone being like, oh, it's Melissa. Like, Melissa. someone's <laughs> like, what, what happened? Like, I loved her for, oh, well, this is Melissa or like Melissa. <laughs> Someone was like, Melissa was in her bag with girlfriend. <laughs> oh my God. LOL. Okay. That's a great take. But yeah. Right. It's like, if we don't think about it as Avril, then we can just say, good job, Melissa. You've all these great bops. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that we don't need to even be talking about this if we just accept that that's true. Um, but I think this does put Avril in like a really weird place. Like she's been asked about this theory enough times in interviews that she, of course, knows about it and has dismissed it as weird. Like, what else is she supposed to say? Sorry that I didn't. Sorry that I am alive. Yeah. Or like, yes, I am alive. Hi, here I am. Hello. Um, Sorry that I didn't turn out to be the person you thought I was in 2003. Like, I don't know. And when I think of her as an artist who regressed or never figured out her career after her early success, who seems less substantive in her work for the most part. I like I have interrogated if it's inter internalized misogyny that makes me feel like she's less authentic and like wise and deep since moving away from more of an alt rock tomboyish version of herself into a poppier, more feminine artist. Like there could be kernels of truth in that, but I actually don't feel that way about other pop artists or people who change up their style. So you all know how much I love Britney, yeah. the anti Avril, <laughs> allegedly. Uh -huh. Um, it's, when it's you say like, when yeah. you say you don't feel that way, you mean you don't you, yeah. you don't care when other people change their vibes as much. Right. You don't question right. it. It's right. Like I don't actually think it's with this that it's like some sort of internalized misogyny. Although I do think a lot of the criticism she gets got it probably are related to that. 
just because like I don't I I do I mean that's what this whole podcast podcast is about like right. the, you, that pop music can be sophisticated and it's right. not so it's just more like when I listen to her lyrics and sound it just feels like her albums have been relatively generic and unremarkable over the t- last you know 10 years or so and probably the most valid evidence for the conspiracy theory a conspiracy theory I don't believe but the most valid evidence is that the Avril Lavigne who once married and divorced the lead singer of Sum 41 could a few years later decide to marry and divorce the lead singer of Nickelback <laughs> like this is a move I fear that makes someone permanently uncool Forever. even though they both have banger karaoke songs shout out to how you remind me which Hannah and I have have sung a karaoke so good and like, I know record labels and all sorts of things are at play, but I just used to feel like I understood who she was as an artist and a famous person in our lives. And I just really have not in a very long time. And that's okay. I say that while also thinking that her 2022 album, Love Sucks, is a decent pop punk album. So there you go. Yeah. And to this day, she is a household name, mostly thanks to her the first few years of her career. When we were asking for people's takes on her trajectory, Maxine said that she agreed that it feels like Avril got stuck in one place musically, stylistically, can't, won't move on. Maya also had a great take in the Discord that kind of tracks with that, with what we've been what we've been talking about and gets to some the same open questions. My only take is that she's a timeless beauty and we really and really made a lasting impression on American pop culture in spite of only having a few hits. I think the regression in her career was in part due to pop punk simply going out of style. Like you didn't see some 41 so much either after 2004, but also bands like the simple plan fall boy kept music. So I don't know. It felt like to me, she was more of a product of a record company rather than driving her own career. Whereas her with other punk pop bands, it felt like they were the steering wheel, but that might be a sexist thing of me to say. Agreed. Agreed, it is, Maya. All those things. It is hard to say. Like, who knows? Also, I think being like an individual versus being in a band, maybe you're more motivated to like stay together when you have a lot of other people, more people around you to keep making music than like being an individual artist. It is hard. Mm. But Audrey told us she loves that Avril seems to be returning to her pop punk roots right now and digs her most recent single, I'm a Mess, featuring Youngblood. Brett also said her most recent album, Love Sucks, is really good. And it does seem like a new generation of artists are taking inspiration from her. And she continues to be a gateway for an alternative mainstream, even as we have more music choices and genres than ever available to us. In People magazine last year, talking about the 20-year anniversary of Let Go, Avril said about today's, quote, punk-tinged pop stars, that's what Avril said, that younger generations are discovering my stuff and that Billy, Olivia, and Willow Smith go out into the world and continue to shatter the mold like I did 20 years ago is super inspiring. All these people around me are like, oh my God, I'm a huge fan. I listened to you growing up. You inspired me. It's really trippy, end quote. And it's true. Like Olivia Rodrigo is very early in her career, but Avril's pop punk influence is all over good for you, even though she gave the, you know, interpolation credit to Taylor Swift, Cruel Summer. It's, it's Avril there. And it's in Billie Eilish is happier than ever. Um, and, and so much of Billy of what Billy does, um, Billy has cited Avril Lavigne as an influence in a ton of interviews, um, like very explicitly. And Billy even posted a photo with her in 2019 and said in caps, thank you for making me who I am. 
Avril mm-hmm. also collabed with Willow Smith on Grow, and Willow has really brought pop punk back and says the best damn thing is one of her favorite albums. We can even sort of see Avril Lavigne's influence in Doja Cat's Hot Pink album. So it's everywhere. Yeah. So I guess to sort of wrap this up, we we came away with some answers, but we also came away with more questions, I feel. I fear. But I guess my final thoughts as someone who, of course, loves Britney, but was also an alt girl, as was anyone who was having fun on AIM in the early 2000s, let's be real. I'm grateful for the music Avril gave us early on and the way she's opened doors for other people, even if her own trajectory doesn't make sense to me or to us after 2007. Again, around the 20th anniversary of Let Go last year in 2022, she said to Vanity Fair that she's, quote, always had this vibe and style and, quote, always stayed true to herself. (laughs) And that's beautiful if that's true. She would know better than I would. And I think maybe not going along with trends or not evolving in ways we might expect and not really seizing on cultural moments in the past 15 years the way she could have is exactly who she is. And again, we were like asking for people's thoughts on Instagram. Melanie said, uh, which I love, the Avril song with Willow is fire and also her new song, Bite Me Slaps. But this is the part I really love, quote, however, I'm not seeing her take command of her place in culture, mm-hmm. end quote, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting. Um, and I think it kind of sums things up. And if we see her take command of her place in pop culture, I think it will be where old and new collide with her next project, allegedly, which is the release of the Skater Boy feature film someday soon. Mm. I think that does some 41 it up. Ah. <laughs> I think something that feels so destabilizing about this trajectory that we've interrogated and that we've agreed is very rare is that when she first came out on the scene, she authenticity was such uh, a part of her uh, brand, for lack of a better word. Like that was something we all really held on to. And she was so authentic. We felt like we really understood her. It felt like she was showing us a core of who she was that would be unchangeable no matter what totally immutable like this was who she was turns out she was a teenager and like other teenagers the the pieces of your identity that you feel are core immutable unchangeable actually like can change and just a few years later you can find yourself culturally appropriating Japanese culture with a song called Hello Kitty that opens with the word kawaii repeated over and over again and I think that's one of the reasons why this feels like so complicated I did not I didn't mean to do that I didn't mean to do that I love that you ended that way I think that is a really smart thought and I also I think it's really rare to start out a song the way that she did with Hello Kitty but I and I do think like it's it I don't know for some people like for me it's like comforting to know that like who I am Mm -hmm. is who I am and like I've known who I am for a very long time including when I was 17 and things change about us and our brains get fully cooked and things like that since then. But like, she just, she just does kind of seem like a different person and her whole thing, like her whole core of that first, those first two albums was like how authentic she was. Yeah. And I'm not saying she wasn't authentic to who she was at the time, but just the fact that, that that whole identity could be so in flux is interesting. Yeah, totally. And I guess that's also a good thing. If you want to change who you are, you know, go for it. 
This conversation is making me very curious to know what Olivia Rodrigo's sophomore album is going to sound like. Yeah. All right. So we're going to close this a little differently than we ever have because I want to <laughs> play just a really short clip, which I will also post in the show notes from a rare TRL August 2002 video. Rare that it's on the internet, but not rare in that a ton of people watched it at the time live. Um, and it's Avril answering a question in the studio from a fan basically on, on how she's, she's touted as the next big thing here in 2002 and how she keeps her feet to the ground and where she sees herself in five years. And we're going to let her play us out. You is, um, well, in every interview that I watch, you're touted as like the next big thing in music. And I was just wondering how you keep your feet to the ground and, uh, where you see yourself in the industry in five years. When you're asking me, like, she's asking me what I want to be doing in five years. Where you picture yourself in what? five years. Well, they sort, of, they sort of give you a position of, like, you know, like, you're the next big thing. I just want to know, like, where you see yourself. Um, I see myself doing the same thing that I'm doing right now. I don't know. Th things always come up and down and go number one and go whatever. But I don't, you know, I don't try not to focus on numbers too much and stuff. All I know is that I s writing is what I love to do. And I just want to keep writing and recording. And I think it's great that, like... You know, people love my music right now, and like I hope that they continue to. But I mean, like if some, you know, if I if Avril Lavigne went, then I would, you know, I'd keep doing what I'm doing because I love doing this, and I'd keep making music because it's what I do. She's true to herself. Thanks for listening to the B Sides podcast. We want to connect with you. Check out the show notes to find our Instagram, Twitter, and join our Discord, where you can link up with us and other progressives who love pop. Please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already, and consider supporting the B-Sides on Patreon. Until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah. <laughs>